in my head, the coolest thing about an NFT is that at its core is that smart contract with a face. You could look at Coachella, for example, they did NFT tickets. You could look at Bored Apes, it's an NFT art piece. Or you could look like what we're doing, it's an NFT share in a film or TV project at Kino. And I have the rights to attend an event. I have the rights to the ownership of this art. I have the right to a percentage of future profits in this film or TV show. It has a face to it. And it's, you know, you can trust that it is what it is because it's on the blockchain on a transparent ledger. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Built on Web3 podcast, your on-ramp into the world of Web3. On this show, we chat with product leaders, builders, content creators, and business owners about how they're implementing Web3 strategies into their businesses. I hope you learned something new and enjoy today's episode. Well, Austin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Sean. Yeah. Good to be here. Before we jump into all of the cool things you're up to, uh, we like to start out each interview with kind of a baseline because um, there's this huge disconnect, as you know, between Web3 people and not Web3 people because um, it's yeah. easy to just talk about all the words, all the NFTs and DeFi, and there's just too many things that are insanely complex. And I feel like it's on us to explain things easier and better for everyone to understand. Um, yeah. And that's kind of our goal here is to create those those light bulb moments in our listeners' minds where they can see little glimpses yeah. of the Web3 future. Um, so yeah. that's, that's a good place to start, I think. So um, yeah. first question is, how do you define Web3? Uh, one of my favorite questions. Um, I think at, at its most simple, I like to say, well, let's look at what, what was Web2 first? What revolution did that sort of spark? And I think the, the answer is one word, social, right? It allowed us to gather in mass amounts of social groups and decide hey, I like that kind of thing. I'm going to put my support behind it. So then what is Web3? It definitely carries over the social. It's combining that Web2 social movement, but now with financial. So I like to say that Web3 is community-based economics, or it's that social plus financial. So I don't just go like something. I'm now able to put my own capital behind it. And of course, that's more empowering for whatever movement, whatever project, whatever sort of you know new endeavor is trying to sort of come out of the works. We're now able to just say, hey, I don't just like that thing, but I actually want to support that with my capital, mm-hmm. you know, and that unlocks so much potential, so much innovation in the market. Is there easy, an easy metaphor that you find yourself using a lot to explain Web3 maybe to, to your parents or, or to your grandparents? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I like to use the word smart contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so w- one of my favorite books I highly recommend reading is Blockchain Revolution by the Tapscots. Um, if you haven't read it, please go do it. And one of my favorite pieces of the book is in, I think it's the introduction, they talk about how Nick Zabo wrote back in the 90s about the trust protocol. And when I think about that from my sort of legal background, contracts were that sort of medium of exchange, that if I was going to buy your headphones right now, we would write a contract to make sure that thing happened, right? Because you don't trust me, I don't trust you, I like you, but I don't fully trust you to give me $10 for the headphones, right? Mm-hmm. So we would write these things down, but over time, even though that was very simple at the beginning and, and the thing that we're taught first day in contracts class is the best contract is one page. And I don't think I've seen a one page contract ever. <laughs> so at the end of the day, those have become so complex that it actually has inhibited people from engaging in transactions with one another. And so then we had the advent of the internet. And it's like, well, now I can be anonymous. I could be AW324 and you could be SC123. And I really don't trust you now because I have no clue if you're going to send me that $10 for the headphones, right? So it's like, how do we now facilitate 
a, an intermediary that is decentralized, that is automated, so that we don't have to go hire a lawyer, hire a banker, hire an accountant, because that just made that transaction so much more complicated when I just want your headphones, right? And so what I think it's cool is that blockchain, especially with the rise of smart contracts off of Ethereum and further chains, is now we can do things like that automatically. And at the end of the day, it really is, we're just cutting out intermediaries to more seamlessly, efficiently, quickly, and easily effectuate transactions amongst one another. And that's everything. Like you drive your car, it's probably a lease or, or a purchase that you did. And that was a contract at the start, right? Your apartment, probably a lease. That was a contract. You buy something on Amazon, there are contracts involved. Our lives are actually based off contracts and blockchain is now giving us the ability to automate that and remove out a lot of the extra costs because it's just you and me now. Hey, I'm going to send you the $10. You're going to give me the headphones. Boom, we're done, right? So the new trust protocol is the blockchain. Yep, love it. Uh, second is, how do you define an NFT? Non-fudgeable token, next question. NFT, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that in my head, the coolest thing about an NFT is that at its core is that smart contract with a face. So, so what I what I love about it is you could look at Coachella, for example, they did NFT tickets, right? Or you could look at Bored Apes, it's an NFT art piece. Or you could look like what we're doing, it's an NFT share in a film or TV project at Kino. All of those things underlying it, again, goes back to it's a contract. It is I am buying a certain thing and I have the rights to attend an event. I have the rights to the ownership of this art. I have the right to a percentage of future profits in this film or TV show. But what's cool about an NFT is it's not just an old paper contract that sits in your filing cabinet. It has a face to it. It feels tangible, even though it's digital and it's transferable. You know, you can send it across the Internet and it's, you know, you can trust that it is what it is because it's on the blockchain on a transparent ledger. So at the end of the day, I think that what an NFT is, is it is a smart contract that has that tangible digital representation that we can pass around. I can even just brag that I own it by putting it as my profile picture on Twitter, right? We can do so many more things with it than just saying, oh yeah, I bought that thing and I got an email from Eventbrite, you know, mm -hmm. or I, I have a stock purchase agreement in my email, you know, or, you know, whatever other things, just the ability to have more digital interactions that we're doing. Um, so you have a background in law. I believe you have a law degree. How did you get into Web3? What was that aha moment, that rabbit hole journey that you went on? Yeah, definitely. And caveat, I'm actually in my last year of law school at UNC oh, nice. Law right now. Um, so I'm in the thick cool. of it, which is really cool because I went from my first year of law school, my professors mocking me for even bringing up the word blockchain <laughs> to my second year of law school. All they would do is use that as examples for legal problems. I'm like, oh, now you think this is cool. Uh, which excited me because they're seeing that it is a real technology that can facilitate what I actually think is more efficient legal work. Um, but anyway, backtrack. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a very different path. I wanted to be an actor. Um, I wanted to be in film and TV. I did everything from acting lessons to voice lessons to dancing. I learned how to tap dance. That's not coming useful anytime, but uh, that was my path, right? Um, and then as a kid, uh, my family actually faced some pretty tough legal problems that put me on my own when I was in college. My dad called me and said, hey, kid, you're on your own, figure it out. And I remember this visceral feeling of, why didn't the lawyers do more? Like, I, I didn't do anything wrong, and now I'm on my own. And I feel like there were people that were supposed to defend us, but what did they do? And so I decided to pivot. Uh, I attended Miami University. Um, I got my degree in political science and business legal studies. And I was like, law, like, that's my thing. I can protect others. I can defend myself. I can enact change through this legal space. Um, and ironically, I also 
was interested in this business law space of finance and I had gotten a little bit into crypto and a little bit into Bitcoin and Ethereum when it first got out. But back then I really did just think it was currencies and I thought it might be cool to own a couple of these. That was my first taste of it, kind of went away. I took a detour, got my master's degree at the London School of Economics, and it was while I was there that I fell in love with entrepreneurship. And I actually joined their entrepreneurship program, launched my first startup, got funding, uh, and launched you know, an EdTech uh, gig app. And it was through that experience that I fell in love with this idea of building. So I already had this lingering sense of, you know, I like crypto. I like what this is doing. It's new. I'm not really sure about it. And then I fell in love with building, but I still in the back of my mind, like law is where I'm going. That's my long-term path. So I ended up going to UAC for law school. And then my first year that I was there, I got deep into crypto trading. This is the middle of the pandemic. And I feel like my spare time was just literally me and discords and telegrams being like, what's all this new stuff happening? What's the Binance smart chain? What are all these new projects that are popping up literally every second of the day? It's like, this is way different than when I first got into it. And I fell in love with all these communities. I think that's the biggest thing. That was my aha moment was when I discovered that these aren't just little coins or tokens or whatever you want to call them that exist out there. There are entire communities around each of these projects that are in and of themselves often little movements. You know? And so then I ended up going to found a charity forward project called Elongate with a couple other guys on Discord and Telegram. And we ended up donating millions of dollars to charity. And I was like, wow, this is epic. Like we are able to aggregate thousands, hundreds of thousands. We have over 500,000 holders at one point to do some good in the world via a financial mechanism. And the finance space is not well known for like making the world a better place. So it was that moment for me that I was like, there is this aspect of community that's so powerful. Um, and then fast forward, I ended up found a Kino and now we're in film and TV and we're, we're populating communities around individual projects that we can empower artists and protect their rights. But it was really that particular community moment. It was just being deep in the discords and the telegrams and going, wow, all these people care, you know, and they are, you know, they, they have financial means, they have financial resources. It might not be a billion dollar hedge fund. It might not be a billion dollar VC fund, but that hundred dollars from that one guy in my community who cares a lot about this one charity project, I think that actually went a lot further than some of the big guys in traditional finance. Mm -hmm. So back in the pandemic, Elon tweeted, if there's ever a scandal about me, call it Elon Gate. Yep. Why did you decide to do something with that? Like, why were you and your friends like, <laughs> let's let's mint a coin and create a charity coin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't take credit for the original idea. Um, <laughs> it was it was honestly a joke to start. It was, hey, this would be hilarious. It's a meme. Meme coins are becoming popular. And it was this whole, maybe this will go somewhere. And if it goes somewhere, maybe we could do some cool things with it. Um, and we had this purpose of, if it goes somewhere, we could charge this 10% fee, half of which goes to charity, half of which goes to our tech development. And we had no clue that this would take off. We thought, no chance, never going to happen, as a meme coin does. And it did. <laughs> um, and so really, at the end of the day, it was just a shot in the dark. Maybe somebody will laugh. Maybe we'll be able to donate a couple hundred bucks. Um, and then for, fast forward six months later, I had written contracts for donating over $4 million wow. to some amazing charitable causes. Wow. That's amazing. How big was the team that launched it? So we started with, I mean, it's hard to say too in the Discord mm. days because like there's a bunch of people that were volunteering, people at varying levels. You know, we started at five to 10 okay. and then we grew to over 50. Um, and that was just the core team. We had over a hundred volunteers managing all of our different wow. channels. Well, yeah, talk about that because yeah. I mean, that's a key kind of like this weird thing that web three does is you build things with just random people in discords. Yeah. So like, tell us if you can, like more specifically how, 
this yeah. started? Like, were, were, did somebody say, hey, Elon tweeted this thing, let's start a coin, and then a bunch of you said, I'm in, let's do something? Or, or tell us about how that started. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it really did start as sort of, saw the tweet. Uh, some guy in one of our channels was like, hey, this is a great idea. I know how to code Solidity. You know, we could create some some further community channels around this. Let's start hyping up people. Let's start inviting our friends. Uh, let's start chatting about it. Let's start posting our own memes and just having some fun and see where it goes. Um, and so practically speaking, it was literally idea. It was coding. It was creation of some channels. And it was let's just hype each other up all day long and have a whole lot of fun. Uh, and then let's figure out the business part. So it's very different from your traditional startup world where it's, I'm going to go put a you know incorporation in place and I'm going to set up my business model. I'm going to go pitch VCs. It was literally, let's code it and see what happens. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, how long were you involved with Elongate? Like what, what ended up happening with that? And then what was next for you? Yeah. Yeah. So involved with Elongate from, that was around February, March of last year. And then ended up leaving. So that was 2021. Uh, and then ended up leaving around February of this year. Um, it, it was such an amazing, rewarding project. Uh, but for me, frankly, I, mean, I, I was getting some amazing offers for, from some really cool law firms. Um, and I was like, is this what I want to do? You know, or do I want to go practice law for a bit? Um, and then the big pivot happened, which was my uh, current co-founder, Daryl, uh, stopped me, sat me down and said, hey, man, I just want some advice. I've got this friend, Alan Richson. Uh, he's the, the current Jack Reacher. We've been chatting about a new movie he wants to do. And I want to bring an idea to him about doing a community raise from the blockchain. He's like, you've done this before. Practically, what does it look like? And then also, uh, aren't there a lot of legal implications in place? Um, and my focus in law school has been in particular in securities regulation, in corporate governance, in VC law, and all those sorts of things that are tangential to the Web3 space. I was like, hey, man, let's just chat about it. Uh, let's talk through sort of, you know, my experience at my last project, what the build looks like, what our outside counsel has advised us on, the things I've learned. And three hours later, we thought, why don't we just build a platform to empower artists to fund their next big films and TV shows and bring a community in so that fans can be a part of the process from the beginning. And so I ended up leaving my last project, hopping over to join Kino. Um, which Daryl and I co-founded back in February. I'd actually, it wasn't, it wasn't like I'd left one for the other, is that I had left and was going to go take this law firm job and I'd accepted an offer there. And then I moved over to Kino and had to end up calling my boss, uh, right, for a future boss at the law firm and saying, hey man, am I crazy? I want to go found this project. I think it's going to do a lot of good in the world. Uh, but should I, should I just, you know, double down on this law firm thing? And actually his advice was like, go do it. This is the time. There's so much innovation happening. Either you're going to win big and you're going to change the world through your company or you're going to fail big and you're going to learn a whole heck of a lot and you can come back and always work at a firm you know that's always something you can do in the future that's always advice that i give to people too is you know if you want to go start something go try you know there's there's no failure in trying uh there are always other opportunities there's always that corporate desk job uh, but i won't ramble too much about that <laughs> well your future boss future ex-boss um, yeah was a was a really cool guy <laughs> yeah yeah, really. Because no, otherwise, yeah, that doesn't come across too often, especially yeah. if you like with the stigma that the law industry has in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Also, he happens to be probably the number one lawyer in all of crypto. Um, one of my biggest role models. Uh, amazing, amazing guy. In fact, it was one of those moments where I was like, this was too cool. I don't think I want to leave now. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, so it's really cool to have an overview of Kino and then also talk a little bit about Elongate. Yeah. Um, but tell us, 
so with these projects, um, and it's pretty transparent. You have, you said 5% goes to yeah. charities, 5% kind of goes to us. What's yeah. the business model behind projects like Kino or others? Yeah. Like, how do you yeah. make, like, are, are these projects or are these businesses and how do you yeah. view that? It's a great question. So I think some at the end of the day, especially if you look at the DAO space now, they're, they're projects, they're communities, they're clubs. Some of them are basically charitable organizations where the goal is not profit. The goal is not revenue. The goal is not necessarily to facilitate some sort of, you know, balance sheet and, and, you know, you have a CFO and you have a formal structure. Um, at Elongate, we were a bit of a hybrid. So we started very much as a project and then we started implementing some serious business models and we started developing and innovating some really cool tech around how do we keep facilitating a token. Um, and what's cool about the token model, which to be clear, Kino is not a token model for a marketplace model. And I'll kind of get into the differences, uh, but the token model is we start and we bring the community in from the start and they get to be sort of, you know, uh, part of the process from the very beginning because they bought into the token at the very beginning. Instead of like a traditional model is, you know, we go raise from VC and that's how we get capital in. And then we bring in consumers later and they're kind of removed, right? They buy products, they buy services, they're fans, you know, that sort of thing. So this was a more close way to have your community involved at the very beginning. They have a very loud voice uh, in sort of the direction of what you're doing. And so it really is a new look at, um, I'll try not to throw too many legal terms around, but what I get excited about is it's a new look at corporate governance and stakeholder theory. It's, you know, we have a whole group of people that care about what we're doing and have invested in what we're doing, and they actually have an active voice in it. And it's not just that they showed up to our, you know, quarterly meeting and raised their hand on, you know, some sort of digital, you know, remote meeting and tried to ask a question that, you know, the CEO of the company is never going to care about. It's like, we're all in discord together. And somebody said, Hey, why don't we donate to this charity project? And we all sat around and we made a decision and we moved forward. So that's the token model, which is very innately and intimately involved with, you know, your consumer at the, at the start. A bit, bit of a different model is the marketplace model, which is what we're pursuing at Kino. And that's how we do this on scale over and over and over again is that for each one of our film and TV projects, they release a collection of NFTs that gives the holder of that certain unique perks, certain unique rights. And so for us, it's three different kinds. You can invest in a film or TV show, that's our investment NFTs. It gives you the right to profit participation in the future. So much like a traditional investment in a startup, this is just investing in film and TV. So when that film and TV project gets acquired by a, you know, a, a big studio, a big streamer, uh, you get to participate in that profit, right? There's also experience NFTs, kind of like tickets, like Coachella, like I mentioned before. You could buy an epic ticket to the red carpet premiere of the next big movie with your favorite star, and you could go to the theater here in Los Angeles with them and be part of that event. You just bought that ticket two years early, right, instead of buying it right before the event, because you knew that buying it now is also going to help that artist make their movie, and then you get to celebrate with them at the end. Or the last thing is collectibles, which we see all the time in NFTs, which is you can buy some digital art. And for us, it's like related to the film. So it's IP that's actually out there and it's not new. It's, it's, you know, it is new to the world, but it's based off of a story that's going to be all over in the future. Or you could buy the right to a prop, for example. So the, the, the example I like to give is American Psycho is one of my favorite movies. Um, and I, ironically, I have it uh, over here, but there's, uh, there's a business card uh, scene that's one of my favorite scenes. And it's like, if I could have bought it back then, I would have probably held it, but that would be worth a lot today, first of all. And second, it would be such a cool piece of that film to have in film history. We're enabling people to buy the right to that before the movie shot, and then it gets shipped to them afterwards. Right. And so what happens then is all of those people buy NFTs and there are different kinds of NFT holders and buyers and consumers. 
they all are part of that community for that movie. You know, so let's call it Los Angeles on Fire, classic blockbuster, right? You guys are all part of now the Los Angeles on Fire community. You're all stakeholders in that. And for two years, you get to be part of the process. But by being a consumer in different ways, an investor, a collector, an experience seeker, you're empowering an artist to go make their art, to go make their film or TV show in a way that they would have had to go into the traditional finance and studio system, which traditionally gives them less ownership, less power, less control over their art. Instead, it's the power of the people to enable the artist to go make the next big thing. And also the fans get a front row seat to the whole thing. So it's, it's sort of this win-win economic scenario for everyone, which I think is really cool. And again, that's not possible without this amazing social plus financial revolution that we're seeing with Web3. Yeah, that's the exact question I was just going to ask um, is why, why now and why do you need Web3 to build yeah. Kino? Like, what is it about yeah. Web3 where it allows something like Kino to exist? Yeah, definitely. A couple things. I think, you know, a few years ago, the public wasn't quite ready for blockchain. I don't think blockchain really was even Web3 back then. You know, communities were starting to form, mm -hmm. but it was very much, I love this coin and I'm going to tell everybody about it. It wasn't as much a project and movement based sort of space. That has shifted so much, especially in the past two years. We've seen this shift to that community-based economics. Um, and you've seen that shift even further from beyond coins and tokens to NFTs and how that's taken in you know, different shapes in the digital space and how now it's not just a token that I can see on a ledger. It's a token with a piece of artwork attached that I can put in different places and I can signal to other people like, hey, I'm a part of this thing. you know. And so I think that those evolutions have changed the market and also a lot more people have heard about it. You know, my favorite channel to watch in the finance space is Bloomberg TV. I promise I'm not sponsored by them. I just think that they're really cool because they talk about crypto nonstop. And they'll ask the tops of the top of traditional finance, what do you think about it? And I have seen so many more people today go, oh yeah, that's the next big thing. And in fact, I was watching the CEO of Franklin Templeton the other day, very traditional finance institution, was saying Bitcoin's a distraction, Ethereum's a distraction. Those are just you know individual technology pieces. It's the technology itself, blockchain, that is going to create the next big disruption in finance. And I think that's really cool to see in front of our eyes, people adopting, people believing. It's that bell curve of adoption, right? We're going from those early believers to those ne that next stage of those people that are adopting. And I think that's why it's now for the timing. But for the technology piece itself, if we're gonna be serious about sort of facilitating accessibility, and facilitating equitability. Blockchain is the technology to do it because it quite literally enshrines rights on a transparent ledger that everyone can see, everyone can fact check. So if I own the right to a share of this film or TV show, that is public, that is accessible, right? Like we have so many legal systems in place which have been thought through by the most brilliant minds of all time and they are so inaccessible. Right. Like even for the, the example I give, what's really cool. I was chatting at ETH Barcelona with a couple of friends who are doing some cool things in the music space and IP protection on the blockchain. There is a whole system in place to protect IP, but I guarantee hardly any of us have ever been to the database to check IP rights because the websites are built on technology. I think that was created in the 90s, you know, and so it's just blockchain is enabling now a more efficient, effective and accessible system for us all to be involved in what were previously highly gate-kept, highly centralized systems. And so that's why I think on a technological level, that's why Kino needs blockchain, because it's just better technology 
sure, we could have built this all with databases in a very Web2 manner, but that wouldn't have added those extra layers of accessibility and equitability that I think are so crucial for the next era of technology and finance. Yeah, that makes makes total sense. Um, so Kino itself is really cool. It's basically like if I were to have a metaphor for this, it's basically kind of like a Kickstarter for movies, but instead of just getting yeah. early access to a movie, you're actually getting ownership, which might mean revenue share, profit share, yeah. and you might be getting access to red carpet events, yep. um, maybe access to props, like you said. Um, is that yep. is that a fair analogy? Yeah, no, that's perfect. The only thing we like to say, though, is we aren't crowdfunding. So we work really hard to make sure that every one of our projects has alternative financing in place. These things Got are going to get made, whether, whether you are involved or not. And I think that is really important, too. And that's also been enabled by these more complex and yet more accessible and equitable models is that we can say, hey, this movie was going to get funded by this big traditional film fund, but instead they're deciding to do sort of an if then. We could go get the money from them and we know that's our backup plan, but instead we're going to bring the public in because we know that bringing fans into our community is actually just better for us as artists. You know, like especially if you think about it, when all the big streamers now are clamoring for new content, what are they going to want to pick up? Well, they're going to want to pick up something with a set fan base that didn't just like the project. They put thousands of dollars into it, right? And so I think that's what's cool about where we're at right now is that we can enable this fan loyalty generation. We can enable this capital aggregation to fund things without it being a, oh, I hope we hit the top of the thermometer so this happens. And I also, here's a sweatshirt for your support, right? And so, like you said, it's not this donative, it's not this Kickstarter crowdfunding model. It's an iteration on that, you know, and, and I have nothing against crowdfunding platforms. I think they're amazing and that they had a, a serious step in history. But I think it's like Web3 gives us the ability to go beyond that and say, no, you're an owner. And we're able to facilitate that through very cool tech, through really innovative legal and economic systems. You can be a part of it. Come on in, you know. So to give us a scale of like how yeah. and like important or how transformative Kino can be to these artists and creators. How, like, do you think it is going to be a blend of Kino and traditional financing or do you think this can, or or like, where is it going to start and where do you see it going? And if you could put like a dollar figures behind that too, just so that we can understand, that'd be really cool too. I mean, I think the the first dollar figure to uh, set its baseline is the film and TV industry right now is worth about $221 billion which is a huge number. And by 2030, it's supposed to grow to over 450 billion. And to also put some further context, I mean, we can look at some of the recent mergers and acquisitions in the space, you know, Warner and Discovery just merged. Amazon is currently merging with MGM. We're seeing such high centralization of all of these different platforms, streamers, tech plus film, right? And what that means is that the centralization is actually keeping out the ability for more art to be made. Um, and I know I'm diverting from the question a little bit, but I'll get back to it, I promise. There's a couple other numbers that are crucial to know is that 98% of film and TV projects that could be made don't get made. So that means 2% are making up that 221 billion. So that's huge. I mean, there's still a lot being made. I'm not saying that film and TV is in a big space, it is. But of that 2%, only about a quarter of those things ever actually see the light of day, get put in movie theaters, on streaming platforms, on VOD, et cetera. And so what that means is that 98% and even of that 2% that got money in the bank and they made it, but they never saw actual distribution is what we call it. That means there's so much art that's being, you know, thought of that's being created out there 
that could be funded, that could be made. There are so many more amazing stories that could change the world. And so I think that when we open up, right, like I'm not saying that we're going to see 100x on that 221 billion or that 450 billion, but to get a sense of the scale there, we could be looking at a multi-trillion dollar industry because the whole world now is able to fund more storytelling. And at the end of the day, we believe at Kino that storytelling is the way that social impact occurs, that, you know, all of us live in different parts of the world and we might not fully understand or be able to empathize with somebody that comes from a very different background and a very different place. When you can watch a story about somebody that had a very different experience from you, it's a lot easier to build some empathy and it's a lot easier for us to then understand one another and actually get along better and actually start taking care of one another. And so that's our big vision is that we're going to open up that 98%. We're going to be able to bring capital to the artists who want to tell some amazing stories. And then on scale, you know, we're going to be able to facilitate billions of dollars worth of film and TV shows uh, just via our platform. I mean, we're starting with 10 projects that are set to start launching at the end of the year. Our goal is to have 25 to 50 in year two. Our goal is to hit 50 to 100 in the next year. And those numbers do start to add up very fast. That turns into hundreds of millions to billions of dollars that we're able to access when previously it was in this very much gatekept space. And that's so empowering to say to the world that, hey, you know, you might work in, you know, development, right? And you might think that I have nothing to do with film and TV, but I love, you know, sci-fi. That's my thing. And I have a little bit extra capital that I might've put in the stock market, but hey, instead I'm going to go invest in that film or TV show, or I'm going to buy that particular prop, or I'm going to just go to this event because, hey, I'm going to treat myself and do the most cool experience I've ever had. And I also know that I'm now empowering artists as well. And I think that's so cool. Love it. So a lot of, a good way to think about Web3 and blockchain is a lot of times it these projects just eliminate a middleman. And it seems like the middleman yeah. in your world might be the studios. Is yeah. the goal to eliminate the need for a studio or are you saying, hey, studios come along with us where we are the future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is a come along uh, sort of model. Um, if you think about the different kinds of film and TV that's made. They're all different levels. You can make a movie for 500,000, you can make a movie for 500 million, um, which the last Fast and Furious, I think is hitting that budget level, um, which is insane to think about. Um, at those higher levels, that's a lot of money. And I think that probably we're gonna need some really big entities to be able to aggregate that amount of capital. I'm not sure that we're ever going to have, and maybe we will, you know, who knows as we go to the future. But I think that studios can also offer a very particular kind of system where a very particular kind of film is made. But I think that what they can also do in a, in a world where we both exist is like we can handle the finance and the community aspects at the start. We can get the first money in so that these movies get and TV shows get made and we can get fans excited from the very beginning. And then the big streamers can come along and distribute. And they actually just benefited because instead of going and buying 100 projects at script phase and not knowing if they're ever going to take off, so I just spent basically, you know, let's say 100 and each was for a million. I spent $100 million on 100 different projects, hoping that one of them takes off. Instead, I could save that $100 million. I can maybe go buy five at $10 million each. And each of those five had a set fan base that actually upped my subscriber base. Now as a streamer, I'm happy because I just bought five projects that I know have a loyal following. And I was able to save 50 million on my balance sheet because instead I didn't just sort of take this sort of, uh, you know, let's let's pray and hope that all, one of these takes off model. I was very purposeful and saying, hey, 
you take the risk up front by engaging with fan bases and bringing in money. We'll come in later because our job is to distribute. And so I think that there is a room for both is that we bring in communities and finance at the beginning, the distributors come in and they do what they do best, which is bringing them to the world. And I think that's a pretty cool system that could exist because then we're all specializing in the areas that we can you know, do best. As a community member, how do I know that I want to be involved. So like you mentioned, yeah. I guess most of us don't know how movies are made. So you mentioned script phase for yeah. studios. What is the phase? Like, yeah. are people pitching movies to me as a community member and I decide to invest or yeah. Talk us through how that works. Yeah. yeah. So, so not exactly. We're not expecting the world to all of a sudden become, you know, go get their MFAs and, and understand how film and TV works. And, and frankly, like that's not my expertise either. My co-founder, Daryl, is an executive producer. He's written a show uh, that he sold to Netflix with Matt Damon. He wrote, he wrote a show with Jimmy Kimmel and sold it to ABC. Uh, he's the expert. And so at the end of the day, I defer to him in all things uh, film and TV there. Um, I'm the I'm the Web3 law economics guy. Um, but what I think is important is that just like your investor in anything, we can do our research and sort of decide what we think is worth putting our money into. Um, and that's the level of sort of notice to use a legal term or information that we're going to be providing on Kino is at the very beginning, we are curating a set amount of projects that we have put through our particular quality control layer saying, hey, because of the level of expertise that Daryl and his network of others in the space have, this has passed a certain check that we think that this is the opportunity to become a very successful project on sort of the, the economic side of things. But also on the storytelling side, we think this is something that the world should see. And that's something we are going to continue to decentralize is bring in a wider community of experts from the space who can have more votes, who can determine what that sort of programming is. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to become a studio, but we also don't want to have a world in which anybody can throw up, you know, uh, a video and, and pretend like it's going to be the next big blockbuster, right? Like we do have to protect consumers and users on our platform, but we want to make sure that at the very beginning, when you hop up into our, you know, NFT marketplaces, you're able to see, hey, what's this movie going to be about? You know, maybe there's going to be what we call a sizzle reel, which is kind of like a trailer at the very beginning to sort of tell you what the movie will be. Uh, but it's not quite a trailer because it hasn't been shot yet, obviously. Maybe you get to read some excerpts from the script. You get to see who's attached. You get to see the directors, the writers, the actors, the filmmakers. And much like in the startup space, a lot of it's around the people. You know, the, the biggest thing that we hear from VCs all the time is we invest in founders because we believe that you're the ones who are going to make this something in the world. It's very similar in film and TV. You know, if you're going to partner with my favorite filmmaker is David Lynch. Uh, I love Twin Peaks, the TV show. I would invest in anything David Lynch does because I think it's amazing. Now, that's not a guarantee that it's going to go and be the next blockbuster hit, but it is somebody that I want to support. I think has a really great track record and has a chance of making something that's really cool and the world should see. It's going to be similar on our platform. You know, it's going to be very heavily on the people at the very beginning. But of course, the fans are able to see, you know, what's this about? What's the genre? What are all the particular details? What's the budget like? What's the cast and crew need to look like? What's the timeline for production? All of that is the information that, of course, we need to make sure everybody has, because similar to traditional investing, it's important that you know, so you can make that decision about this is something I want to throw my weight behind or it's not. So on the topic of community and people, and, you yeah. know, we talked a lot about the uh, digital um, the discords, the everything. And so it seems like one of the unique pieces and um, like value propositions about Kino is that there's also the in real life aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. And I think that's pretty unique because all these projects tend to be, you know, they happen somewhere else and you, you know, 
hear about them yeah. and see updates. But so tell us about like why you've chosen to do both the digital and in person, yeah. how that, you know, differentiates you guys. And also yeah. how do you maintain that cohesion between yeah. the two? Because so that they don't become two totally separate communities as well. Absolutely. I think there's some really cool things developing in that space too, uh, which I'll, I'll dive into. But I think the first thing is that, you know, we are still humans. We are, we do still life, do life in person, you know, and sometimes the most amazing experiences we have are in person. Uh, and I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I do think that this development of, of the metaverse, I think that our recent experience of the pandemic with remote capacity, like we wouldn't really be doing this podcast right now because I'm in LA, you know, in your endeavor, you guys are across the world, you know, it's not that far, but you know, to, to have me hop on a flight probably would have been a little bit unreasonable on a Wednesday morning. Um, so it's, it's cool that remote has enabled us to do a lot of things. And that's also what's enabled us to be able to generate these communities because the cast and crew can hop in and give a weekly update remotely, right? And that's able to have that connection. But the in-person goes a step further and it adds that extra layer of like, oh, I'm actually a part of this. And so I think that as we grow, we're gonna be looking towards how do we facilitate both a really good in-person strategy, realizing that people live all over the world and that travel is by no means necessarily cheap. But if you look at film, they've been doing this for a while. You'll see film premieres in LA, in New York, in Paris. When I was just in Paris, there was uh, the, I, I walked by the, the premiere of Bullet Train um, that, that just came out recently. And I walked by, I was like, oh my gosh, wow, it's right here. Um, film's been doing this for a while, right? You go to the people, you premiere, you get a lot of people involved, um, you generate hype locally. And that's definitely part of our model is to expand and be able to have that global presence where we're able to activate people where they are. But then also realizing that First of all, not everybody wants to come and do in-person things, and that's totally cool. And second, some people might not have the resources. Uh, some people just might have zero interest or capacity on that week to do that. But they're like, I would love to hop in a metaverse and hang out with some people. Uh, and we're excited to start building digital space around that that go beyond the Discord. You know, you could actually hop into a metaverse, walk around in a themed space that looks like the future movie and get to sit in a, in a, let's say it's a grassy knoll, or if it's the Los Angeles on fire, it might be sitting in downtown LA in the metaverse with the cast and crew, and they're giving you a virtual update, you know, but it feels almost like you're there. So I think that we're going to see expansions on what IRL means and what the digital means, but also realizing that we all have different metrics for what experience is and for what community is. And I wanna make sure that we hit those different elements and offer those because at the end of the day, we want it to be tangible, even if it is digital or physical as an option, adds that certain level of sort of credibility to the experience. You've mentioned that you have 10 films premiering yep. this fall. So you're a fairly new company. I think you started in yeah. February or something. How, yeah. What? Tell us what you can about that launch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I gave the caveat before this that unfortunately we still live in a world where there are contracts in place and we can't announce much yet. Um, but, and this is a testament to, to my co-founder who I said is, is an absolute uh, awesome human. Um, and he has a, a great network of some really talented artists. I mean, I'm excited to announce when we can, because these are names that people will know awesome. of, uh, people that you will have heard of people that you will have seen on billboards around and on TV uh, and on the big screen. Um, and it's not going to all happen at once. So we're not going to be launching <laughs> all of in one day. It's going to be over the next year. Um, and it's not going to be like a premiere where we're all going to show up a movie theater and watch the movie. It hasn't been made yet. Right. And that's a whole new model too, that we think is really cool is we get to learn as we grow 
what is it that brings early supporters or fans or whatever you want to call them into the process at the beginning point? We know that names are going to be huge. We've done market testing. And it's like, if I know this actor is a part of it, I'm definitely going to support it. But there are other elements to it as well. The kind of genre that it's in. People tend to sort of, you know, gravitate towards different genres. I might really want to support a new romantic comedy because that's my thing. And I might not really know the actor, but I do like this idea. I like, I watched the sizzle. I read a bit of the scripts and I liked what this was, you know, that might be part of it. And so we're going to start on our platform, getting feedback from the public as well is something that one of our, our internal models at Aquino is we get feedback uh, fast, early and often. Um, because at the end of the day, we are building something new. And it's important for us to realize that while we have all these amazing ideas and I have a, an amazing team that is working day in and day out to create the best experiences in this new model, we also need to figure it out along the way too. Um, and so I'm excited for every month over, you know, probably starting in November, we're still working on the final date for the announcement and the launch. You know, we're going to be launching a new project and we're going to be iterating constantly and getting feedback from those early communities around how do we continue to bring you into the process? How do we continue to build that community around each one of these? Um, and frankly, how do we get here? It's my co-founder and sort of our tenacity. Um, we both very much come from a place of this is what we want to do with our lives. We want to disrupt Hollywood for the better and we want to do it at the highest level so that way people take it seriously. Because I think that's the other thing that Web3 is struggling with right now is you see a lot of projects. I have a lot of founder friends who have founded some amazingly brilliant things where they're not getting met necessarily the traction that they should because there's still a lot of people out there who like the old systems and want to keep them as they are. Or they're just like, I don't know about that, right? But our approach is if we can start with some big names and we can make some big headlines and we have our tech in a really solid place and we have our legal aspects in a really solid place and our economics are new and, and sort of unmatched in the space, that's how we're going to really enact some cool change um, in what is a very visible you know, environment. So I hope this has you know spillover effects into other areas of Web3 that people are like, oh yeah, I bought my first NFT and a Kino project. I'm totally going to go buy one. Uh, you know, on royals to, to invest in artists, or I'm totally going to go buy that new piece of digital art because, yeah, I feel comfortable mm -hmm. with this now. You know, that's my that's my goal too. Is I hope that we benefit Web three in general. Totally. So when you say launching ten movies, yeah. that doesn't mean ten movies are made. You're you're launching <laughs> exactly you're launching the the, the, the the funding to the community to participate in those 10 projects. Absolutely. Got it. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we need, we need a new yeah. word. For, I, I was for like, launch. there's no uh, way they're launching 10 movies this fall. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean that, that would be amazing. I don't, I don't think there's any producer <laughs> under the sun that could produce something that quickly and get yeah. it out. But <laughs> so, so let's say no, come November or whatever, and you announce uh, this project. What does that look like yeah. as a community member? How can I get involved specifically? Like what could yeah. that look like? Definitely. Um, so there's a couple of different means. We're going to start opening our Discord in the next couple of weeks. And so if you want to get involved, you can hop in the Discord and hang out. Um, it's going to be a little slow to start because uh, we are really heavily building as a team, focusing on our platform build. We're focusing on finalizing all the details of the projects, um, making sure that the launch is going to be a hugely successful one. Um, there's another way that people can get involved early and get a sort of uh, extra skin in the game, which is our founding membership NFT collection. Um, it's for our earliest believers. It gives you pre-sale access for as long as you hold the NFT. Uh, so if you hold it, you get to get in before everybody else, which I think is pretty cool because if you're a super fan of a particular artist, you might want to get in there before things sell out. 
Or if you're a trader, you might want to get in there and buy something before other people do so that you could resell it in the open market. Whatever's your game, you play it. That's not up to us. Um, but the other cool features are you get an invite to our yearly film festival that we're hosting. We're hosting our first um, quote unquote film festival to celebrate our, uh, our projects in December. Um, and so if you hold the NFT, you get to actually come in person. So again, it's that combo of that digital uh, and IRL. You're also part of a, an exclusive founding member community where you get to hear about the projects before everybody else. And then the artwork itself is being, or is, has been made, it's, it was finalized this past week uh, by an Emmy nominated art director, Corey Heinzen, who did Megamind, Shrek, Madagascar. Uh, so that is one way to get in uh, more tangibly right now. Um, but also just follow the projects and we'll give updates. And then once things launch, you have the ability to hop on the platform. And we are, our goal is to make the transacting experience as seamless as possible. Like I want my mom to be able to hop on in a couple months and buy an NFT of our first project. And all she did was swipe her credit card and she hopped into a chat and she was like, wow, this is awesome. Because I think that's the other thing that Web3 is struggling with right now is it's super inaccessible technologically and that's okay. It's new and it's, you know, and it's nascent, it's emerging and we'll get there. But our team is very purposeful about ensuring that if you've got a ton of Ethereum and your thing is Ethereum, you can buy traditionally and you're going to have that opportunity. But if you're like, I don't even know what NFT stands for, you're going to be able to hop on and you're going to say, Hey, I believe in this movie. I've got a credit card here. I'm going to buy. And that's it. It's easy. Yep. You mentioned something in there that I think, a lot of people don't necessarily, this is like the hard part to conceptualize with Web3 is the resale. So you said if you're, yeah. if you're a reseller or a flipper, you could yeah. buy these things yeah. and resell it. So explain how, like what yeah. that world could look like. So could yeah. I become a founding member and send one ETH to this address on your website? Yeah. Um, and I could go resell that to Thomas in a year. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's a founding member, even though. He wasn't. Yeah, and that, that's what's <laughs> and that's what's interesting about the new model. I mean, yeah, you you 100 could. Um, and to be very clear, what's on the site right now is our premint. Um, so we will be launching the first page of the platform, which will be for our founding membership, where you can mint directly. Um, this was our quote unquote stealth mode. We haven't done any marketing yet. Um, we've only put things on our Instagram. Um, this is our way for our people that have heard about us early, our friends, family folks we met on podcasts, folks that we met at conferences in Europe uh, to get in early before we do our public launch. Um, but sure, yeah, you could go buy it now and resell it. I think that's what's really cool in this membership model. That's a whole other space in NFTs that I didn't even, didn't even get to before, which is this idea that like you don't have to pay a, a yearly membership to be a part of a, a community, a club, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you could join now. We say like you can hop on the train this year. You could hop off the train next year and pass it along to the next person. You know, and the cool thing is, you could theoretically make some money off of that, you know, can't promise anything at the end of the day, especially coming from the space I do, but it's like, you know, maybe you do, maybe that thing doubles in value next year and you go make some money. Maybe it doesn't, maybe you sell it at cost or maybe you just sell it and you didn't make any money on it, but you were like, I don't want this anymore. You know, I had my fun in the film space and now Thomas wants it. I'm going to resell this to him and he becomes a founder member and he gets all the perks you know, and to use the sort of the economic and legal term, transferability is what that is. And that's really cool because instead of you just going and buying a membership to your gym, and really all that is, is you put money in and they put a yes in the database that Sean is now a member of, you know, local LA gym. Instead, it's this like living thing that you can pass from person to person you have ownership of, and you're able to actually determine what you do with it. Um, which I think also builds more community as well, is this idea that humans are the ones determining sort of who's a part of what. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I love the, I don't know if it's the right analogy, but it's almost akin to um, 
right now the web two world of us having a membership to a gym yeah. is kind of like renting yes. and then web three of actually having this nft having this membership that's actually that with the transferability is essentially home ownership now yes yeah. um so and is that is that part of your is is that part of kino's business model then is that like how you make because i i've got to imagine that if you offer benefits and a membership like that yeah. does take capital to keep it ongoing so that yeah. you have um if you had a thousand people that just like never did anything with it that that'd be difficult from an economic standpoint to, to yeah get, yeah know, no definitely on. definitely and, and that's what's interesting too i think a lot of nft communities are exploring is how do these new business models evolve i mean that surely is part of it you know is is factoring in that there will likely be uh exchanging of nfts and there's a fee that's baked into that um which is standard in the market um and that's how we generate extra revenue is when that changes hands you know we get a fee off that transaction um but i think that is actually a perfect metaphor for what this is is yeah instead of sort of me renting from you and i got no ownership of it i had no property rights over it um which is what we call the bundle of sticks in law school you know i could only do a certain number of things with it because that's what my rent agreement said right it is that ownership i own the bundle of sticks i can do whatever i want with it you know and that could be reselling to somebody else some cool things uh, i was actually chatting about this with my co-founder this morning you could actually rent out that uh you know that founding membership to somebody else for a month like a mini, say, hey, mini landlord almost. exactly i don't want it right now i'm gonna run it to you for a month because i'm gonna go to uh, alaska and go off the grid for you know three months but hey do you want to go to a couple of movie premieres you can have the founding membership pass now for, for three months, right? That I think is really cool. And we're starting to see that emerge in this space. I think that when it comes to like just artwork, people are kind of confused. Like, why would I rent a piece of art for three months? I mean, I think that that is going to take off more because I, that's totally a thing that happens in the actual, you know, old world art space. But when it comes to this, like NFTs with more utility, it makes more sense. It's like, oh yeah, I totally would love to like have that pass for three months so I could go hang out in the film space, but I don't want to own it. You know, I just want to do a couple cool things for a cheaper price and then move on with my life. Right. So what is the, you, you said a good way to make side revenue would be through these resales. What yeah. is the main business model? Yeah. I think, um, yeah. it's, it's hard to conceptualize where you guys, and maybe you haven't figured this out totally, but I'd be interested what yeah. how you're thinking about it. Yeah. So we charge fees on platform. So just like any other exchange, that's how we make our money is anytime a consumer buy something on our platform, there is going to be a Got fee, it. you know, because we are the one that are facilitating the community. We're the one that's bringing the NFT to the market. We're the one that puts the lights on for the technology uh, to use sort of a primitive term. But um, at the end of the day, what's cool about that is that we aren't like a traditional studio system, putting up the capital and then taking the majority ownership. Instead, we say to the artists, you get to keep your majority ownership the way we make our money is by enacting, you know, is by transacting with our consumers and by facilitating this amazing experience by bringing this to a whole group of people that previously didn't have access. And we just make our money because people are doing things on the platform, just like Coinbase does, just like OpenSeas, just like anybody else. So Web3 is absolutely going to be disruptive to businesses. And we just talked yeah. about it, how like Kino's definitely going to disrupt some yeah. traditional financing and yeah. some traditional studios. But at the same time, and Sean kind of alluded to this earlier, these like middle intermediary players here yeah. are also going to benefit from the de-risking of it. So yeah. if 
what would you say to other businesses that may or may not be in just the video kind of yeah. uh, production space here of like how how are they going to be affected by web3 yeah. and or what would you tell them to think about because i yeah. think that's a different mindset that they need to adopt here but because in this case the studios are actually they're going to lose out here but they're going to gain over there so how would exactly. you know other yeah. businesses uh, think about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's in more the traditional finance sense. I mean, look to where there are areas that you could de-risk by actually empowering your consumers to be part of the process. Um, you know, and while there are some elements that you might feel like you give up, like for example, with the founding membership NFT, if you have full ownership, that then means that I couldn't charge you, you know, a hundred bucks a year, right? Like I might do traditionally in the Web two space. And so there, there, there is a shift in the business model. There's also a shift in a sense to the control and to a bit of the you know power structure. Um, but I don't think that should be scary by any means. I think in fact, that should be sort of uh, uh, mandated by us as the people is, you know, there is a future in which we all can be a part of the conversation and make really cool things. You know, so I would say, look to elements of de-risking. There is a trade-off, but I think that it actually benefits businesses greatly. I mean, that Franklin Templeton interview with the CEO um, she talked about actually like an idea for the San Francisco Giants. Instead of doing a loyalty program by just giving out like, you know, buy one, get one free cards. Why don't you just release an NFT where you have like a super fan club where they actually own 1% of the team. So you have to give up a little bit of ownership, but you just brought in revenue and you're, you have recurring revenue for any resales. And you have this super loyal fan base now that you know those are gonna be the most epic people that are your champions. And that's one of the big things that's crucial to Kino in our space. What I learned at Elongate was that like our biggest champions were our community. You know, I can hop in a Discord, I can hop on podcasts, I can hop on things all day long and talk about a project. But the people that really care and they're gonna do the work on scale is people in your communities. And so for our film and TV projects, we have a bunch of super fans that are now going to go all over social media and talk about it. And so for all the big streamers, it's like, yeah, I want a piece of that. Right. And so that was actually just a better experience for everybody. And it was better for the artists because now they knew that they had a more valuable piece of art because they had thousands of people who also wanted to make sure that that thing got acquired by the big streamers. Right. I think that a lot of business models can, can, you know, take a look at this and say, not only does this help our bottom line, but it actually helps our growth and our scale. Fast forward maybe five years, what does success yeah. look like for you guys? And kind of paint the picture of yeah. what a successful world with Kino looks like. Yeah, I love that question. Um, definitely it's over 250 projects in one year that we've launched. Um, it's definitely a world in which artists say, yeah, I want to go see if I can launch with Kino first because I know that I'm going to be protected and I'm going to be empowered like I haven't been previously. Um, it's also a world in which we are able to start to support younger emerging artists uh, who have been previously, it's really, really hard to break into this industry. Uh, people are not supported in the ways that they could be. And so we want to start generating some programs around supporting young artists, you know, whether it's through MFA programs and grants, whether it's through, and this is going to be part of the future plans, is, is, is a community that does both IRL and digital of actual artists who might be new to this space but say, hey, I need some resources and help. I would love somebody to edit my scripts. I'd love to get connected to a good entertainment lawyer. I would love to get connected with a producer so I can sort of figure out what all I need to do to put together a budget and actually maybe launch a future project on Kino. And what's cool is that we hope that once we have physical locations, anybody that's part of that artist community can come hang out at our sort of different you know offices, kind of like in a co-working world, 
and there's real community in person too. And just by us actually being together and collaborating, we're all going to build off each other's successes. And I think that's something that's really cool about Web3 is the focus is on collaborative success. It's not focused on individualized success. Like I can't tell you how different I've noticed when I go to tech events in Web3 and I speak to other founders. It's never, what are you doing? Because I want to make sure that that's not going to hurt me. It's what are you doing? Because I could help you. And also I'm going to make an ass, but like we can support each other. And I think that we can bring that to the Hollywood space too. If we can generate not just this amazing fan community that is now a set base where projects can launch off of, right? We also have an artist community that is supporting one another and that we can now be a resource to and say, hey, we're not going to come and make this thing for you. But if you need some help, you can come hang out at our offices. You can be in our online chat. You can get all the necessary sort of Kickstarter things that you need. I don't use that in sort of the tech term. I use that just sort of in like literal kickstart your project um, to, to get going. I think that's going to be a really cool future. The other thing that Daryl and I talk about, my co-founder, is I would love to see a Kino project win an Oscar, win an Emmy, win a Golden Globe. That would be a huge That'd be dope. Oh my God, that'd be so cool. It, I, that, it kind of reminds <laughs> me of like when the first Netflix movie uh, one yeah. and, and it was yeah. like so weird yeah. that like bezos was in the yeah. audience for amazon prime i know <laughs> i know well and then think about it too for us like that's not a win for kino alone that's a win for thousands mm-hmm. of people who now can sit at home like i get chills thinking about like if if my best friend or my mom was you know a holder of an nft and a project that won an oscar how so epic cool. would that be sitting at home and that wins like i think i would cry i'd be like i did that you know, and I want to make sure that people feel that it's like I was a part of that. We just won something amazing in the whole world from mm-hmm. the story because we were part of this. From the and you can even mint yeah. an Oscar NFT for those holders. So you can airdrop it right to them. Okay. So cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they can put that everywhere. Man. They can brag about that all over. Love the place, it. Right? <laughs> um, if listeners want to find out more about Kino or get involved, um, talk about where they can go and what types of things they can get involved in currently. Yeah. So our website is kinoapp.xyz, so K-I-N-O-A-P-P dot X-Y-Z. Be careful if you type that on Apple, it will keep changing it to C-U-Z. I don't know why. That's not really a word either, but Apple autocorrect does weird things. So kinoapp.xyz is our website, which is currently going through some updates. Like I said, we were in stealth mode before, so you're going to see some some new uh, front pages to the website, which I'm excited about. And then the first sort of uh, spaces on the platform are going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. You can also follow us at KinoAppXYZ on Instagram, at KinoAppXYZ on Twitter. Uh, and then also, if you want to find our Discord information, that's also on the website and across our socials. Great. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. This was great. Thank you. This is really fun, guys. I appreciate it.